Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Joliet First, so good to see you this morning. Everybody have a good New Year? Okay, all right. If you're like me, you're ready for bed at 9 o'clock on New Year's Eve and uh, ready to go to bed. Uh, it was a great New Year. Either way, but hey, so glad you're here this morning. If you're new, thanks for joining us. Uh, as Jeannie said earlier, uh, we would love to make a donation in your name uh, to, to um, Love Moves Us. It's a great organization, and um, yeah, we would just love to know that you're here, so make sure you fill out that card. Uh, we, you've come at a great time because we are starting a new series called The Good and Beautiful Life, and I know some of you are saying, wait, didn't, didn't we already do this series? Close. Uh, it was the good and beautiful God. And remember, at the beginning of the fall, uh, we, we learned about God. We have uh, missed and missed truths that we believe to be true about God, some taught by other people, some taught by the church. And so our whole goal this fall was to reshape your mind and reshape your hearts and our lives to a new understanding of who God is. And so now that you know everything there is to know about God, we decided that our lives are such a mess, we should probably work on us. And so this morning, uh, we start a new series called The Good and beautiful life. And over the next 12 weeks, over the next 12 weeks, I know that seems like a lot for, for some of us, but can I just ask you to commit for the next 12 weeks to this series? Uh, I know it's a lot to show up every week, and you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd probably only come twice a month too, but I don't have a choice. Uh, so, but let me just say this. Um, if you are struggling with personal issues, whether it's anger or stress or anxiety, um, and you don't feel like the life that you're currently living is a good and beautiful life, let me just say that you should probably attend this series for the entirety of it. Uh, it will be good. And we've got, Jeannie's going to be preaching in a few weeks. Uh, looking forward to that. So would you pray for me this morning as we begin uh, our journey together on the good and beautiful life? Lord, this morning we take a few moments just to thank you for how good you are to us. Lord, I thank you for the honor to stand here this morning and bring your words. I pray that they would be fruitful, they would be helpful, and that they would move us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've had this experience or if you've ever heard anybody say this, but maybe you've heard somebody say this. This is the life. Right, maybe you've heard somebody say this when uh, they, they got home, they put on their favorite sweatpants and sweatshirt, uh, got in a recliner and watched their favorite show. Maybe you've heard uh, people say this when they are sitting next to the beach watching the sunset and the surf. Or maybe you've heard people say this when they're uh, sipping on some coffee and they're looking out the back window and they're just kind of looking at the snow and the birds and nature. Uh, I've said this before when we were backpacking in the Grand Tetons as we overlooked uh, a valley uh, at the top of a mountain. I thought, my goodness, this is the life. And if you've heard people say, this is the life, often what they are expressing is that they are happy. Right? That in this current moment, uh, what they are expressing by what they're experiencing is happiness. Happiness. And it's interesting to me because um, I think often, I think often, uh, 
our happiness is de determined by what's going on around us. It, it's, it's by the circumstances that we experience. In fact, uh, recently, Janelle, um, it was so fun, she came up to me and she said, do you know what would make me happy? And my wife's not a diva. She doesn't ask for a lot. I'm the one that asks for everything in the relationship. I'm the diva. Uh, she hardly asked for anything. But she came up to me recently, and she said to me, she said, do you know what would make me happy? And um, she said, what would you think about? Love it. What would you think about repainting the kitchen? Now, I've been married long enough to know that that's not a question. That's actually a statement uh, in the form of a command that says, you will paint the kitchen. And so um, she said, I think we should paint the kitchen together because that would make me happy. And I said, well, okay, well, let's paint the kitchen. So we painted the kitchen together, and uh, it was a really good time. We, we finished the paint, and I, I looked at the cabinets, and, I, and she was happy with the paint job. But I looked at the cabinets, and I said, they're just a little bit dark for the paint that we, we put up. I think we should paint the cabinets. And... So we decided to paint the cabinets, and we painted them bright white, and they looked so beautiful, and they looked so pretty. And I was really excited when we were done. Uh, it was like, whoa, this is just so great. I mean, they looked fantastic. And, but then Janelle said, we're, we're missing something. Uh, we're going to have to touch these cabinets, and they're white, and we don't have any hardware on the cabinets. And so she said, well, I think we should get some hardware. She said, you know what made me happy? If, if we just got a little bit of hardware. And so we got some hardware. She ordered some hardware. It took us 15 minutes to put on. A lot of fun. Drilled holes in cabinets and put hardware on. And then we got done. And I was like, wow, this looks really good. And we were happy with what we had done. But then we looked around and we noticed that, the, that, that, that our decor was uh, about 15 years old. And that what we had, like, when we first got married, uh, the same decor was hanging up. And it didn't match what we had done in the kitchen. And Janelle said, do you know, do you know what make me happy? <laughs> I said, what, what would make you happy? She said, I would love to have a big uh, gather sign that sits over our table. And so I went online and I priced up a, a, a big gather sign, uh, like six foot long. And it was way more than I could afford. And so I called John and Jill. And I thought, why would, why would I pay somebody I don't even know to make something that I barely even want. And so I asked John and Jill, I said, hey, uh, my wife really wants, really wants a reclaimed wood sign that says gather on it. And so John and Jill made this beautiful piece. I mean, it is amazing. And if you come over to my house and you'll, you'll see it's, it's about six foot long, it's about two and a half feet high, reclaimed wood, it says gather on it. It's beautiful. And, um, and I was so happy with it. I'm taking pictures. I'm sending it to people. And then Dan Eaton comes over. And Dan says, hey, do you know what would make me happy? <laughs> he says, um, those uh, countertops that you've got going on there, they're, they're fairly old. They're pretty dingy. And um, I think we should get you some new countertops. And so Dan had some people, he called some people, and they graciously donated new countertops to the parsonage. Um, and they're on their way, I hear, and I can't look forward to it. But I say all that to say this, uh, that so often in life, right, we get to one thing and we want the next. That our happiness depends on what's happening. Our happiness depends on what's happening. I, I kind of find it funny that those words are similar together, that our happiness depends on what's happening. Now, if you've been alive for any minute, you know, you know that you've been trained and conditioned. You've been trained and conditioned to believe this, and here's why. 
When you go home today and you turn on the TV or you watch the playoffs or whatever you're going to watch today, uh, just watch the first commercial that comes up. You might find a successful businesswoman driving a luxury car. You might find this really handsome gentleman uh, in a five-star hotel, comfied up on, on the bed doing some work or whatever it is. Or, or when you get home, you might find that there's a new, a new product for your hair to make it bigger and to make your, your face brighter and tighter, new, you know, some new lotion or whatever it is. And, and you just think, if I could get that, I would look younger and I'd look better and I'd be happy with, with that. My, my favorite, personally, is the Hardee's commercial. I didn't even know that Hardee's still existed uh, until I was watching TV the other day. And this is a while back, but they have this lady who's half-dressed, who looks like she hasn't eaten in three months. And you know she doesn't eat the product, because if you do, you just don't look like that. And, um, and here she is chomping down on this juicy burger with ketchup everywhere. And I'm like, I don't like Hardee's or hamburgers like that, but if I could, I would eat one because that looks really good. It looks like it would make me really happy. <laughs> and I think this is so true for us, that our happiness depends on what's happening. And, and I don't know a lot, but here's what I do know to be true, right? That, that for many of us, happiness becomes an addiction. It becomes a vice. And when happiness is built on what's happening, our life is built on a vice, it becomes an addiction for us. Like we just, we just have to make sure that next event or that next thing or that next car or whatever it may be in your life, that next thing has to be there in order for you to be happy. And I think so much of our happiness, so much of our life depends on a vice. But there's this great Russian novelist who, who says this. I love what he says in, in contrast. He says, the meaning of an earthly existence, the meaning of an earthly existence lies not, as we have grown up talking about, in prospering, or, and I put in parentheses, what's happening. But it is in the development, the development of our soul. Now, I get that that word soul is a loaded word word. I think if I could pare it down, this is exactly what he's saying. Happiness is not a vice, but it's found in virtue. Happiness is not a vice, but it is found in virtue. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, what if the good and beautiful life is actually a life that is built upon a joy and a life that is built upon a happiness that is not dependent upon what is going on around you, that's not dependent upon external circumstances, but that in the midst of it all, you could feel a sense of contentment and joy about, with the life that you have that is built on virtue. There are many days that I don't like my life, but there is something inside of me that says my life is worth it and I'm content and happy with what I'm doing. Trust me, there's a lot of times I'm not happy, but I'm happy with what God has called me to do. And so I've been thinking about this, virtue or vice, virtue or vice. And then this whacked out theologian named John Wesley, who, by the way, we just happen to follow uh, quite often in our in our. Uh, sect, or if you want to call it that, our denomination, he said this, and this really bugged me. He said, you cannot find happiness, you cannot find happiness without being holy. Now, when I read this statement, I became angry. I became really upset when I read this statement because 
number one, that's a really churchy word. And I, often I don't like churchy words, but that's a really churchy word. And I thought my name and holy should never be in the same sentence. I mean, if you know me, that's really, really true. My name and holy should never be in the same sentence. And if you've not been in church or you're just coming back for the first time in a long time or you've not been part of a faith community and you hear this word holy, it is an intimidating word. And if I were sitting in your shoes, I'd feel like getting up and walking out. I mean, that's how I felt when I first read this statement written by him is, yeah, not for me. Yeah, you can have the holy, but that's, that's just not me. And it bugged me and it bugged me. And it bugged me. And so I began to, to go on this quest and this journey asking the question, is happiness, can I really be happy without being holy? And what does it mean? What does all that mean? And so the great thing is there's this famous guy, I don't know if you know him, his name's Jesus. Uh, again, the reason why we're here today, um, who has something to say about this very question. Can you be happy without being holy? And so we find his words in the, in the gospel account of Matthew. And if you're not familiar with Matthew or you're new to church, uh, listen, he, there are four accounts. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while he's the first gospel in line, he's not necessarily the first one up. He didn't write, uh, he didn't, wasn't the first writer. But, but what I love about Matthew is his mission. See, Matthew writes with a mission in mind. And, and here's simply what it is. Matthew wants to take our world, and it's almost like he holds our world in his hand as a writer, and he begins to look at it, and he begins to examine it, and he begins to say, there's something wrong with this life. And he holds the world here. And then he says, but then there's this experience that I had with Jesus, and, 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 and he takes Jesus' world, and he begins to look at it, and he begins to examine it, and he begins to say this, that there is a new reality that we are supposed to, to have. And he's, he begins to say, as he looks at both worlds, he's holding both in his hands, and he says, what if these two worlds actually were meant to be fused together and not to be apart like we have so known most of our religious life? That God is out there, and our life is here, and they're not really together, but, but, but Matthew's mission is to help us define a new reality. And he said, what if these two are to be meshed together? And at the heart of it, at the heart of it, what if it is Jesus's? words. And so to give you some context, Jesus gives a TED talk. I don't know if you knew that they had TED talks back then, but he goes up and he stands on this really big mountain. Uh, for religious folks, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. I prefer TED talks because it's really inspiring. But Jesus goes up and he gives this inaugural address about this reality that Matthew is talking about, that he's wanting us to understand. And so Jesus gets up and he begins to talk about this pie in the sky stuff. He talks about things that seem out of reach. And they seem out of reach because there's something that we just don't experience in our lives and in our world and in our understanding of how government and things are run. And so Jesus says, I, I think there's a different way to live. It's a better way to live. It's a life that is good and beautiful. And it's a life that I think is worth living. And so Jesus gets up and he says crazy things like the people who are the lowest in society, who are the, the weirdest, the dumbest, the ugliest, the losers, guess what? They're in. And those who think they're in are not in. At least they're not first. They're last. And then he goes on to say things like, hey, listen, we have been taught that we just simply beat the living daylights out of our enemies. But Jesus says, oh, what would happen if you actually loved your enemies? And people are like, yeah, whatever. That's like the craziest thing I've ever heard. Jesus goes on to talk about forgiving people and loving people. And we're going to actually talk about that in a few weeks. Next 12 weeks, we're going to be talking about those things. But Jesus gives us a laundry list, a laundry list of things to do. And so many of us think that those are just they're metaphors. They're not actually things that Jesus really wants us to do. 
It's just like kind of this internal feeling that we're supposed to have. And then Jesus says this at the end. He gets to the very end of all the things he says, and I love what he says next. He says, therefore, and whenever you see the word therefore, little theology here, you should ask, what is it therefore? Ha ha, you guys are smart. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice is like, and I know you're saying, well, what's it like? And I know some of you know the rest. Um, but I want to stop here for just a minute. You see, when I first started writing this message a few weeks ago, I was really bugged by what John Wesley had to say. And so in my notes, I usually just start with notes. I wrote, I wrote, what is holy? Question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I was, I was angry about that statement. What is holy? And then as I began to, to read and begin to think about what Jesus was saying, I wrote down this. I said, is, is hearing and doing or in parentheses, I put practice. Is practice the same? Is practice the same as holy? That's what I put in my notes. And you know what's so fun is when you get angry at what God has to say, or you get angry at what other people have to say, things that kind of frustrate us, and we begin to dig in a little bit deeper, we learn that there is something going on that's actually really important that will help us understand this very question that answered my question. In fact, the word practice that Jesus uses, the word, that pra the word practice that Jesus uses actually means this. It means God's active creativity in the world. You see, we hear the word practice and we're like, oh my goodness, like that just, that just seems like so much. Like it seems like I can't do that. And if that's what holy is, that's, that's just really hard. But I want you to notice that in the definition of practicing, it actually doesn't start with you. The holy doesn't start with you. It actually starts with what God has already done. And we look at his example of how to get to the holy. You see, when I started unpacking this, where is God creative in the world? I begin to think about that in, in the very beginning, we have emptiness and formlessness and God comes in and he separates chaos and then he, he actually fills it with good things that are beautiful and that are wonderful and that are awe-inspiring. And not only that, but then he creates people that look like him and talk like him who are supposed to live a life like his and we are created in his image and that's exciting to me. And then even better, there's God who picks a low-life community that is the weakest in all the world, and he says, you are my people. The down and outs, you are my people. And he says, I will make you a great nation. And guess what? They go into slavery. I don't know what's so great about that, but you know what? He, he's actively engaged in the world. He says, my people were never meant to live like this. And so he reaches down and he frees them and he's calling them to a new kind of promise. And you know what, really, really, when I think about creativity, do you know any other faith of a God who wants to reveal himself to the world so he sends his son who is in his very image to represent him? Do you know any other faiths like that? Do you know any other gods who are so adamant and passionate and loving towards you that they want to reveal their very nature of who they are to you? That's pretty creative, if you ask me. And then when Jesus shows up, not only does he say creative things, not only does he think differently, we call it third way thinking at times, but his whole goal, his whole goal of coming here is restoration and redemption for those lives that are broken.
He has come to make you new. And if that's not holy, if that's not creative, I don't know what is. So then I began to put it together and think, what does that mean for us? Notice that Jesus says, he says, everyone who hears, I love that language, everyone who hears. In other words, everyone who is in earshot of the good news of Jesus Christ has been invited on this journey. Does it mean you have to? Does it mean you will? Does it mean you're supposed to? But it just means that you have been invited and you have the choice to choose whether you will join on that journey or not. And I begin to think, I begin to think that perhaps, perhaps the happy life is in the holy. It is in doing what we were designed to do from the very beginning. And that is to participate in the very words that Jesus has said. Yeah, those aren't just pie in the sky dreams. Those are actual words that he wants us to practice. Those are actual words that he wants us to live. And you know what? When we begin to love and when we begin to forgive and when we begin to live a life with compassion and generosity, those things, those things, those things are holy. When you're present at your job and when you're listening to somebody you don't want to listen to and you're being empathetic and understanding, that is holy. That is holy. And while you may not feel the emotion of being extremely happy and woohoo, you know, skipping and twirling and gumdrops and princess dresses, inside, you get it, right? You get it. You've been here. Inside, you have a sense that you were doing something you were meant to do all along. And so I got to the point where it's like, yeah, it's about God's creativity. It's about participating in that creativity. It's about changing lives. It's about making people new and watching them change. And happiness is found in being holy, I think. I do. I truly think it is. But it's important. It's important. See, Jesus says you have to practice it. You have to practice it. You have to do it. You can't just hear it. You have to do it. And, and I was thinking, you know, like my son, uh, Carter, I love the kid. He, he's so funny. Um, we, we often call him our special child. Um, special in a way that he just is. He, uh, he's, he's smart, he's bright, and I know I'm a proud father and I'm bragging about him. Sorry, just let me have my moment. Um, he is smart, he is bright, he is brilliant. And we often call him, he's like the guy on the movie The Beautiful Mind. Uh, one night, a couple years ago, he, he, we go back, it's like one in the morning. And I'm like, son, why are you not asleep? And he says, dad, I can't sleep. And I said, well, why not? And he said, I've got all this stuff running through my mind. And he holds up a whiteboard and it's math equations that he wasn't even studying at school at time. I don't know where he got them. Not from me. I'm not a mathematician. But he's just, maybe he got them from Chris. He's a mathematician. Uh, but he's just sitting there in bed writing on this whiteboard. And I'm like, my goodness, what's wrong with you? Um, so, so Janelle and I have acknowledged that he is very creative. He, he is extremely smart. And what's fun is that in the mornings, in the mornings, uh, when I get up at 4.45 or so, I can hear him sifting through thousands and thousands and thousands of Legos, uh, sets that he's already put together immediately after he's gotten, but then he just dumped them in this big old bag. And what's so fun, what's so fun is to watch him come out with motorcycles and dune buggies and big old towers and all these different things that I couldn't even do. And I want to say, where did you, what, what, what box did you copy in order to make that? Or, uh, you know, what Lego set is that from? He's like, oh, no, 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 I just, I just made this. It was in my head. 
And I began to wonder this question. No, this is a great question. What if he only put the pieces together in his mind and never actually put them together in person? Would I know that my child is gifted? Well, I think my child is gifted. Would I think my child is smart? And you know what? He finds so much joy. He finds so much happiness. I mean, the kid will sit in his underwear like he's starving. You know, he just sits down, squats down for hours putting Legos together. And he could do that, and you would, you would never even know he's there. But he's filled with joy because he's doing it. And I think this is what Jesus wants to say to us. You can hear it. You can know it. But until you practice it, until you participate in the creativity of the Holy One, you will never be truly happy. And your life will always, always be built on a vice, not virtue. You know how I know that? Do you remember what Jesus said? The one who hears and does those things, the one who will find true happiness is like, and here's what he says. He says, he's like a wise man who built and I put in parentheses, virtue, vice is happy. His house on a rock. He's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation upon a rock. You know, we know this metaphor. For those of us that have been in the church for a while, we know the metaphor, but I really think that we miss the meaning. We just think if we have Jesus in our life, that that is the rock and that is the foundation. But again, do you remember what he said? Those who hear these words and do these things, those who practice them. The big question is, what are they building? What are they building? What are you building? What's fun is the word that Matthew uses, and I think the word that he's referring to that Jesus used for the word built actually means piety. Wisdom, and check this out, not vice, not circumstance, but the word literally means virtue. What are you building? Is your life built upon what's going on around you? Is your life built upon who's in your life or who's not in your life or how much money you have or whether you have a great place to live or not live? Is your life built on a vice or is it built on what Jesus says? when we are happy, when we practice the things that he's taught us, we are building a life built on virtue, not vice. I can remember when I started working, I wasn't always a pastor. Um, I wasn't always a Christian either. Uh, I'm, th I'm thankful for those days. I mean, I'm glad he didn't come back at that time, but um, they were very formative for me. Um, and maybe you had the same experience. <laughs> but I can remember when I would, I would work at times from four in the morning until midnight, and then I would get up and do it all over again. And it wasn't the greatest job, but it made, we made decent money. Uh, we, we, it paid bills. We had a really nice house. I mean, for, for somebody who's in their early 20s, we owned our own home. Uh, it was a really nice home. Uh, we had wonderful cars. I mean, and I, we, we, we worked hard for those things. I worked hard for those things. But you know what was interesting is when I would have conversations with people, 
when, when, when I would be around our friends, and I wasn't around them very often because I was always working. That's what I would say. But when I was around them, I'd be bragging. It was a power move. Oh, you don't work as many hours as I do. That's why I'm not here and you are. Your, your job must be terrible because you're here. You actually get to have fun. But it was a power move for me to be able to express to somebody that I was working more hours than them. Or my life was somehow more important than theirs. And I thought, and I thought that having the house, having the job, having the cars, and all those things, and having plenty of money that we could save and put away and pay off vehicles, I thought all that was so great. And I thought that it was bringing me joy in life. But you know what? It was just a veneer. It was just a varnish that was placed over the destruction of, guess what? What the Russian writer says at the beginning, my soul. Deep down, my soul was rotting. My marriage, newly married, my marriage was the weakest it's ever been. Ever been. Because I was committed to a vice. I was committed to the high of happiness. And I was not building a life on virtue. And I love that Jesus says, what are you building? And you know what's so interesting about it? He doesn't say that your life is going to be peaches and cherries. He doesn't say that when your life is built on virtue, he doesn't say that it's, everything is going to be handy dandy and everything will be given to you and life is just going to be, whoo, it's going to be a breeze. No, look at what the scripture says. It says, winds came. It says that the, the waters rose and they began to beat against the house. Could you imagine being the owner of this house? Waters beating against your house. In other words, those circumstances were not formidable. They were not awe-inspiring. In fact, they were fear-giving. But he says, there's happiness even in those times when you are practicing what I've taught you. When you're doing what I've asked you to do. When you've built a life on virtue, it has nothing to do with your circumstance. And I learned this later on in life. But the emptiness and the brokenness was changed when I said yes to Jesus. When his words, see, I knew his words. I grew up in the church. I knew his words. I heard his words. I never actually thought I was supposed to practice them. But when I began to take his words seriously and I began to live them in my life and I thought that it was, it was God's goal for me to take on his very character and nature to do what I was designed to do all along and I started doing those things. I started to feel a different kind of passion, a different kind of joy and a different kind of happiness. But it had to start with Jesus. And so I would just say this to you today. A couple things. Number one, what are you building? What are you building? A vice or virtue? And I would say this lastly, and here's what I want you to know. Don't forfeit your chance to live the good and beautiful life on circumstance. Don't forfeit your chance to live a good and beautiful life on circumstance. So many of us, are going to ask the question. And I know it seems churchy, and I know it's a big ask for me to ask you 
to follow Jesus, to put Jesus first in your life, to believe that he could truly change who you are. I know that's, that's a big ask on my part. And I know some of you are going to say, what, am I, what vice am I going to have to give up? What am I going to miss out on if I don't follow Jesus? That's the question we all want to ask. If I start doing the things Jesus has asked me to do, suddenly my life will be boring and uneventful. And it'll only be church and prayer and Bible studies. And let me just say that. If that's all your Christian walk is, whoa, you're missing out. The question you should be asking is, what will I never get to experience? What will I miss out on if I choose not to follow Jesus? You see, this whole series that we're going to do doesn't matter if you don't start here. So I'm talking to those of you who may be new to the faith. I'm talking to those of you that have been in church your entire life and your whole focus has been on salvation or whatever, and yet you still don't understand or know Jesus. I'm talking to those of us who, who, who have heard the words of Jesus for so much of our life but yet never practice them. And you're asking, well, where do we, how, how do we know the words? We're going to help you discover those over the next 12 weeks. And that's why I said it's essential that you be here over the next 12 weeks. It's interesting, at the end, Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, I think we have it. He says, those who hear these words and do not, does not put them into practice is foolish. He or she is like a foolish person who, who built their house upon the sand. So the rain came down, the winds blew, the streams rose and beat against the house, and the house fell with a great crash. You know what struck me is even the foolish person thinks they are building something great. Do you ever think about that? Even foolish people think they are building something that is great. why we like stuff and events. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but if that's what your life is built on, if your happiness is simply a high, perhaps when you get to the low and you're feeling miserable, that's why your life feels like it has crashed. So can I just say this? The starting point is Jesus. And the next step is practicing what he's called you to be. And so you're saying, well, what can I do this week? Yeah, we're going back to this. These weekly practices that, that really shape our soul. And I get for some of us, this, this is going to seem kind of cheesy or weird, uh, and you're just not going to do it. Uh, can I just say, can you, can you push against and resist the temptation to say, this is dumb, and just throw away whatever we're about to give you away? At the beginning of this year, I want you to write a letter to God. And we've helped you out. We're going to give you a piece of paper and we got a new JF pen that you can stick in there and you can write the letter with. And I want you to write a letter to God and I want you to say this. The life I want to live most for myself is. Dear God, the life I want to live most for myself is. And what's really cool is the paper we've provided you has that little statement on there. I just want you to take a few minutes this week to begin to write that out. And you're saying that's really cheesy. But let me, let me just help you here. When you write out the life that you want most for yourself, you know what that is? That's a vision statement. 
That's a mission statement about what you think God has called you to do. And so I would even challenge you more in this sense that if you can write out that vision statement of what you want for your life and what it would look like if God was in your life or Jesus was in your life, not only just write that out, but then begin to make a plan for it. What does my plan look like? If I want to be a devoted follower of Jesus, what steps am I going to have to take to do that? If I want to be committed to relationships with other people in the church, if I want to feel connected, what steps am I going to have to take? Not what others are going to have to take. People won't do it for you. So it is. You're essentially writing a vision statement for your life for this next year. And that's what I would challenge you to do. When you walk out today, we have greeters that are going to be passing those out to you. Take those home. Don't throw them away. Write them down. And if you want to share those with me, our, one of our pastors, we'd love to hear them. I'm always encouraged by that. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to receive from the table this morning. Well, we do give thanks for this time. We thank you that you are a God who is on a mission, who is creative and actively engaged in the world, that you are holy. So this morning, we, we pray that we would find happiness in that calling, that we truly would be happy in the holy, and we would begin to question, what are we building? Is our life built on vices or is it built on virtue? Is it built on doing and practicing the things that you've asked us to do? Lord, I pray that over this next series, you would encourage people, you would encourage uh, folks to, to, to be committed to being part of this journey as we do discover your words. For they are life-changing and it is the best TED Talk we've ever heard. Lord, I pray today that your grace would be received as we take this morning from your table. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're serving communion this morning, would you come forward?